This is Tectonic, a weekly talk show revolving around the seismic shifts in technology culture and the digital age. This is episode number 38. I am Joe Darnell, your host, and with me is Mr. Joshua Pfeiffer. How are you doing? Good evening. How are you? I'm doing swell. It's great to have you back on the show. It's been a couple of weeks. Welcome to December. Yeah, it's, I don't, I don't, I can't remember the last time I've been on. Last week we were moving and I had no internet. So that was, that was my bad. Sorry about that. No problems whatsoever. You know, with ubiquitous internet all over the world now, I, I figured you you found like the last black hole in Georgia where you can't find <laughs> well, it. Well, you know, I, I ordered it. They had to, to mail me my modem and that took a few days. So that you can't download a modem apparently. Mm. Yeah. Now you downgraded too. what I heard is, uh, you're using some sort of D- uh, DNS or what is this? No, well, no, it's, it's, it's Cox cable, which is the, I'm paying for 50 megabits down and I was on 30 megabits down. So I was looking forward to this upgrade, but the reliability is really sketchy. I, I haven't quite figured out, uh, if it's the modem, if it's, yeah, I, I'm not sure yet. I, I've just had it for a few days, but it's been really really hit or miss. Mm. I, I just, I couldn't, we, we took like 30 minutes to get a movie going the other day. Yeah. I was going to say Netflix is going to take a hit uh, here at the Christmas season. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's a, I have a, you know, a couple movies, you know, I bought through iCloud and trying to play them on my new Apple TV. I thought this is going to be great. Got the kids sitting down and there was small little riots going on waiting for the movie to start. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But then it started up today right away. So it's really odd. Hmm. Well, hang in there, Joshua. I feel your pain. <laughs> yeah, first world problems, I guess. No, no. We could always say that. We could tag every show we produce first world problems. It's just what we deal with. But let me tell you, I got, I've been very emotionally upset about my internet having issues. It's like, how dare you do this to me, internet? Work. I feel your pain. I've had my share. Comcast has been brutal this year, but enough about that. That's, that's another episode. <laughs> yes. Uh, we should go ahead and introduce our guest this week. We have with us Miss Katie Floyd. How are you doing, Katie? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me on. A pleasure, really. I am honored. This is episode 38. I started thinking about getting you on our show probably around episode 8, <laughs> but I just didn't have the nerve to say, hi, Katie. Um, how are things? Want to come over here? <laughs> <laughs> well, all you had to do was ask. I, I think I put you off a little bit because you, you caught me right as uh, things were gearing up with the school semester and with finals and all. But uh, it's it's been a great two weeks. I've, I feel quite free now. And uh, I guess things will be gearing up in another couple of weeks. But yeah, you caught me at a good time. Uh, congratulations. You got to another break from school. Uh, what is school and what are you studying these days? Oh, boy. So I graduated about 10 years ago with a a law degree and practiced in a firm and was a litigator and did all of that and then decided a couple of years ago it would be a good idea to to shift my practice more into estate planning, which is, you know, uh, of course, you're still practicing law, but it's a little more of a transactional practice and decided in order to do that, I was going to go back and specialize and go back and do uh, an additional what is typically a year program. It's designed to be the year after law school. Law school is a little different. You get your doctorate, your JD first. And then if you want to specialize, some programs offer a master's after that. So you can get your general law degree and then a master's in a particular area. So I decided uh, they call that an LLM because of course, you know, lawyers have to have all of this Latin stuff. Right. Uh, But I I decided to go back while I was still working full time and get my, it's called a master's of law and taxation 
because there are a lot of tax-related issues with estate planning. Uh, my particular focus is in estate planning. So I've been doing that the last two years and uh, slow and steady and should finish up in May, which is, it's, uh, it's time. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to be done. <laughs> So, so you've stretched stretched out the one year program into two years. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, a little over, just about two years. <laughs> no, it makes sense doing it in the evenings, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, not evenings because it's designed to be a one year program for full time students. So, just taking a class or two here and oh, there, and okay. you know, popping out in the middle of the day. Yeah, I see. Cool. Well, I wanted to know a little bit more about what you're studying because you happen to be one of the more productive people I know online. And I see you don't spend an awful lot of time on Twitter and the like, and that's good for you that you can control that. You're the professional through and through with your podcast, which is the Mac Power Users. By everything I can tell with your actual career, it seems to be top notch. So congratulations that you figured out this productivity stuff. Well, I'm not sure that I figured it out. Maybe I fake it well. Yeah, so far, so good. I'm convinced. You've, you've gotten me fooled for more than 100 episodes of the Mac Power Users. Yeah, we, uh, we just recorded last night episode 296, so we're coming up on episode 300 in January. It's been, been a while. 300 episodes. Yeah, that's nothing to sniff at. That's more than Back to Work, right? I think so. Yeah, Back to Work just recorded episode 50 a couple of weeks ago. Or 250, <laughs> 250 a couple of weeks ago. With the Mac Power Users, that's a show that you co-host with David Sparks, who we had on episode nine, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes for reference. But if you're not already listening to that show, you need to turn this off. In fact, just unsubscribe, go back to the Mac Power Users and start at the beginning and start your way through and come back in a couple of years. We'll see you later. Yeah. In fact, if you start now, we'll have like a podcast today for you practically. Basically. The 365-day podcast. Well, yeah, by the, time, by the time you catch up, we'll, we'll be up to 365 by then. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of room for everybody. So, you know, I, I probably subscribe to a couple of dozen podcasts myself. I, I admit I don't listen to every episode of every show, but, you know, that's, that's the beauty of it. You can, you can dip your toe in, you can see what's interesting, and, and go from there. Absolutely. Do, do you prefer talk shows, or do you prefer the, the news and the, the current events and news story types? You know, I, I have a lot of variety and well, I lie, I don't have that much variety in my Overcast feed. I, I would say about 75% of everything and Overcast is my podcast app of choice. I, I would say about 75 is tech related. Um, I do have a couple of news programs in there because uh, as a cord cutter, I, I don't have a cable TV subscription. So some of my, my news is is consumed through podcasts now. And then the other of it, you know, the other 25% or so I would say is, you know, more lifestyle type podcast. I've got a couple of fitness podcasts and a couple of kind of, you know, money management type podcasts and, and things like that. So what, whatever strikes my fancy. And then I also use a service called Huff Duffer, which is a great service that, that kind of lets you think of it kind of like Instapaper for podcasts, where you can go in and selectively choose, you know, I'm not sure I really want to subscribe to this podcast, but I want to listen to this episode and it kind of creates your own queue of these one-off episodes, which is nice. It's a great utility. Yes, I have Huff Duffer. I've got some bookmarklets so that you can quickly get those over into my subscription. Now, the thing is, though, with your experience professionally in law, I wouldn't have taken you as uh, someone so vested in technology in general because so few are really that serious about both law and civil government and something like technology such as you have for what I can tell is a good long time. When did you decide that you were going to be the professional lawyer and that you were going to make the productivity stuff and technology just a a pursuit you you run the rest of your life in every other way that kind of shapes your lifestyle? 
Well, the the secret is the technology stuff came first. I I have always been, I, I don't really know how to describe it. I've always known that I've had an aptitude for technology and it's been something that I've been interested in. And I, I really have to thank my parents for really encouraging that. You know, I never really had any sense that technology was something that girls weren't really supposed to be interested in. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying that sarcastically, obviously, but, you know, that was, I was never discouraged from looking at technology and it was never an odd thing in my family. My dad ran a small business. He ran a small sporting goods store from the time that I was a small child until the mid 2000s. And he bought the original Macintosh in 1984 because he wanted a computer for his business. He wanted to be able to do some simple word processing and to do things like make signs for his business and do some bookkeeping and and things like that. We had that computer in our house from the time that I was fairly young. And I remember that they just let me play on it. I mean, there really wasn't an internet to speak of at that point, so there wasn't any place to get in trouble. And um, very quickly, within the span of about a year, that just became my computer. My dad ended up having to buy the 512 Mac that came out a couple of, you know, the next year or two to replace it because the the original 1984 Mac just became mine. And boy, I wish I still had it now. But, you know, it just kind of grew from there. I mean, there there was no instruction manual. There there were no classes. I mean, there were, there were some computers in schools at that point, but it wasn't that formalized a class. And it was the kind of thing that if you wanted to learn about it, it was just something that you picked up by doing. And then when I was in, in high school, you know, I was kind of the yearbook nerd and the the newspaper nerd, and that was all done on on Macintoshes. You know, Power Macs at that time were just starting to come out and then in college, the the iMac had just come out, the original iMac, and it was not particularly powerful. But I was originally a journalism major, and all of the desktop publishing applications, I, I thought I was going to go off and work for a magazine mm. because that's what I wanted to do. That's that's how I could use a Mac to design pages and layouts and things like that. Mm. You know, in, in retrospect, that would have been a bad idea. Yeah. because <laughs> good for you. <laughs> there are no magazines anymore. But it was really just a, a fluke. I was actually working for a publishing company my my junior year of, of college full-time, and I needed a course at 7.30 in the morning that would fit my schedule. And the only thing that fit was this uh, constitutional law class that was in the political science department. It was fine. I just I took it as an elective, but something about it grabbed me. The, the professor was amazing. It was taught by a local attorney here in town uh, who's now a magistrate judge, and it just grabbed me and and never really let go. I ended up clerking in Washington D.C. shortly after September 11th, and that was kind of a life changing experience. And realized, you know, this is something that I want to do. And so that was kind of when I made the switch and decided, you know, I'm not really sure that I want my hobby to be my my job. I, I wanted to have a hobby and a job, so I I kind of segregated the two paths there. Oh, okay. I can see. Yeah, and that's one of the things I have appreciated about my career path as well is that I have enough variety in between all the graphic design work and my interest in computers that I never get bored with one or the other because they're not the same. I can spend a lot of time in the week on the one. And then when I need to like, just think about something else and I can work on my computers and update my libraries and, you know, manage some photos. And then I can get back to the real work and my mind is refreshed and I can get back to the nitty gritty and the design projects. And I really appreciate having more than one interest. I considered a, a full-on career involving technology, and I'm, I'm glad I didn't do that because I'd get, I think I'd get bored with it. It's sort of like the um, my dad wanted it to be a baseball player, and I think that if he had become a baseball player, which would have been awesome, I would have been okay with that. 
But if he had, I, I wonder if he had actually taught me baseball. And <laughs> Right. Then baseball becomes your job. Yeah. He would have lost all interest and, and spent less time with us when we were in school. So no, I'm glad it worked out so that my dad would be my head coach. Now, the other thing, though, that I find interesting along your story, though, Katie, is that you kind of mentioned how your dad was using computers at the store and the like. It seems like your interests were practical interests in technology, like using them in the home, using them for, well, I don't understand how you approached it and decided that you wanted to be a power user. Because for years, I fooled myself that I was a power user and I had exhausted all the resources with my Mac. And then I discovered Macworld Magazine after the iPod was released in 2003. And it was at that point I began to realize how there was so much more that I hadn't learned. And so I, I started taking more and more of an interest in this until I'd, I don't know where I heard about podcasts. It was probably Jobs when he gave the original announcement for iTunes. And when I started looking for Apple-related podcasts, I don't think it was it wasn't too too long after that that the Mac Power Users was started. Was that around 2007? Uh, Mac Power Users, I'd have to go back. I think we started in May of 2009. And I actually had another podcast that we were actually talking about this in the, in the pre-show that predated Mac Power Users that I believe started in 2007. And it started, the, the first podcast started as a result of that keynote where Jobs introduced podcasting in, in GarageBand as a feature. He was inspiring all of us with that presentation. It was one of the best at the time. Right. And I remember at the time um, I, I was on iMessage. I actually was in the library of the law school. And, and I believe, truth be told, that I had actually skipped a class to watch the keynote. But that seemed to have turned out okay. You made the right choice. <laughs> yeah, clearly. <laughs> uh, I was I was in the, the law library hiding out, but watching the keynote in a corner and was on, uh, gosh, not iMessage, iChat was the, the precursor to iMessage, kind of the AOL instant messenger back end or front end, mm -hmm. you know, chatting with a friend of mine from the local Mac user groups because I'd been involved in the Mac user group for a while. And we were just, you know, kind of commenting as we were watching the keynote and the, the comment was made, gosh, that looks pretty cool. We should do a podcast. <laughs> you want to? Sure. Okay. <laughs> and there you go. Some of the best get started that way. Now, now, you mentioned the user groups, though. What are user groups all about? You've mentioned them many times over. And I think that there's a lot of people who have discovered them, but an awful lot more people who haven't taken advantage of them. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, the user groups are are not necessarily doing uh, as as well now. They're they're kind of a something from a different time, and maybe their time has passed. But you know, back before, uh, I mean, certainly the internet was around, but people would actually get together and meet with each other on a on a regular basis in person. They would all go to the same place and and sit down and even before Starbucks, yeah, 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 they would actually go and sit down and. Typically, the, the idea behind it, and, and Apple used to support them, was the idea of, of users helping users, just people with common interest getting together. Sometimes it was a formal program. Sometimes it was very informal. Um, and, and showing off, you know, this is what I'm doing with my Mac. This is what I can do. Here's a, here's a cool program I found. Uh, lots of shareware was passed around at user groups. You know, lots of floppy disk get passed around with, with shareware. The user groups had a library of shareware. You know, this was back before version tracker and those types of things where you could just easily go online and, and download those, those types of tools. People just sharing information and, and sharing knowledge. And sometimes there was a program and some of the more advanced users would, give presentations and give demonstrations. Sometimes Apple would even come. We had Apple 
ship us the original cheese grater Power Mac G5 to our user group. <laughs> that was a huge deal at the time, you know, when you really couldn't get those, you know, come and do a demonstration of how powerful that machine was. Wow. That was long before the time of blogging and right. podcasting. So yes, I can see why they would give you the opportunity to review the product. That's, wow, such a different time. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, people would come with their problems. I mean, now you have a, more advanced users have a problem. They just type it in Google or, you know, they go search a forum or, you know, they listen to podcasts and get their information that way. So now you you tend to see user groups um, being a little bit older um, is, is, is where that, that has skewed and maybe a little bit more novice, which is unfortunate because some of the quote unquote power users, I guess, what is a power user? We could have a whole discussion of that, you know, have, have found other ways to get their information. Hmm. Okay. I see the point then. Okay. So how did the, how did the earlier user groups, how did you communicate if you weren't physically in the same meeting? I mean, did you, you know, keep in touch with folks like via maybe like a, a bulletin board service or something like that in, in a local area? Well, there there was a meeting typically once or twice a month, you know, and that was set and scheduled and people would show up. Um, and then there would be news groups for the user group um, and bulletin board services. And then actually, you know, newsletters, this thing that comes in the mail <laughs> on pe- on dead trees. Interesting. <laughs> but, the, but delivered by the postman. What's that? <laughs> Interesting. Exactly. My wife and I just did a, a podcast together. I don't think it'll ever see the light of day. It was the, the first off, you know, we were talking about. TV shows, and, and I explained to the listeners, who are, of course, no listeners, but I explained to them how Netflix used to bring a little floppy thing in the mail, and it was the best part of getting your mail, because it was this nice red the little, envelope. The, scene, the that, little red envelope. Oh, yeah. It, it was like, just, it, it made like your day. It, it, well, yeah, I know. It was, it was great. <laughs> oh. Sometimes, though, those presents were scratched up, and that's why they're not so great. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, that, that, was, that was rough. Well, now we blame all of our video watching problems on Comcast and AT&T and the like. Yes, now it's now it's the internet's fault. Tough life. Well, speaking of the home and entertainment and what we do in the home, Katie, one of the things that you've brought up many times over is automation, but specifically home automation. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to discuss things with you on the show, because automation is a very popular topic on podcasts. And I don't hear a lot of people really talking about what Apple is trying to do with HomeKit, what people are doing, developers are making for apps for iOS and Android where we can automate things in the home. And it was a few years ago that you pointed out when you were building your house, you were ready to just take action and like really make your home automated and in such a way that everybody's going to be scratching their head like, who was this person and why did they think to do this? This is so smart. When you when you sell your house, they're going to be like, this is wonderful. There are Ethernet ports everywhere and USB ports in the in the plug outlets. What, is, what was she thinking? What got you interested in home automation and why did you take this angle that you were going to customize the home for yourself and not only do all the dirty work, but invest early on? I would say uh, it's still early days, but you caught on well ahead to the curve. I tell you, that was the most difficult thing working with, I worked with a a builder and that was the most difficult thing we did was getting all of that. They just had the process down for, you know, picking the cabinets, picking the granite and picking the light fixtures and picking all of this. 
And the wiring and all of that, it was just, you could tell that that was, that was not something that, that they did not have to deal with someone wanting these types of things often. But they eventually got it right. They got it right the day, the day before we closed. They got it right. So <laughs> they got it. I was just trying to think very proactive. You know, I built this house, gosh, it's been three, almost four years ago now. I, I wish I had done more, but, you know, I tried to be very proactive about the things because wireless certainly was great even a couple of years ago, and it's it's only gotten better, but, man, nothing beats a hardwired cable, and the the cost of putting in copper when you're building a house and when it's nothing but studs is is pennies compared to what it costs to have somebody come back and do it after the fact or what it costs to do it during a renovation. I mean, my entire wiring for my house was, you know, $1,000 or less, whereas it would, you know, it would cost me more than that just to get an electrician to come out and and, and do that for a couple of hours worth of work. Mm. And so, and so the, the dividends that it pays of doing something like that ahead of time, if you're doing it during a major renovation or, or, or during construction is, is huge if you can think ahead. And so I was trying to be very proactive during the construction stage of doing things like making sure that I had, you know, Cat six uh, Ethernet cables in every room, making sure that I had multiple drops in every room, at least one on on you know uh, two major walls of the room, making sure that they were in places that made sense, you know, not only down low where you could plug something from a desk in, but also thinking about where televisions in those rooms would be, and knowing that many of the devices now that that we connect to high speed internet are media devices, and so if your TV is going to be mounted on the wall. You're going to need on the wall not only power, not only coaxial cable, but probably also Ethernet as well, and trying to be mindful of where those things were going to go and then having them all come back to some kind of of central hub. And, you know, giving a a little thought to that ahead of time was a great help. I I still wish that, that I had done more. Hmm. And then I really, I think the reason you you don't hear a lot of people talking about home automation anymore is because I think there was this big spurt of it. You know, I think it was at CES the year before last, and a lot of stuff came out, and it worked okay, and then nothing's really been done since. No. I think we all got very excited about home automation, and now it's kind of fizzled a little bit. Right. Well, with the, with the potential with app stores, you would think with the developers just tackling one category after the next, that automation for the office as well was just given, because it was just uh, ripe with opportunity. Like, who wouldn't want to be able to just control all the network systems, the security, the lighting, the air from from their phone? And I've seen there's a lot of good apps out now where you can manage the security, the lighting, et cetera. And I know good people who have uh, taken steps to put these into their offices and into their uh, homes. And they work really well when they're done thoughtfully. And people take the time, their due diligence to make the systems work with the best tools. But I think that in general, people are just not really gung-ho about this. This is not something that people need. This is something that a select few really want because they realize it can make them more productive, like you. And the rest of us just haven't caught on because we're okay with opening and shutting our garage doors manually or something crazy like that. Yeah, and I think another one of the problems is 
standards really haven't been developed for these things yet. I mean, we've got compete. I mean, you you go into each one of the the major hardware stores. Home Depot has their brand they're selling. Lowe's has another brand they're selling. And then you walk into Staples and they've got a brand that they're selling. And, you know, that may be an exaggeration, but it's it's not too far off. And I think people are terrified of, I don't want to invest thousands of dollars into this particular brand and this particular system and get everything set up only to find that that company tanks or that company gets bought out by somebody or something else happens. Yes, I'm very conscientious about the brands if I've never heard of them, especially, well, like think about it, a lot of the security tech uh, technology that you would find for like, say, the security cameras and the deadbolts and the like that you can get automated, the smart devices, they're brands I've never heard of before. So as someone that considers myself a very savvy user of technology, I, I still am wary about the brands. And so I always look for things like this is Apple certified on the package or it's Apple approved in some other way. And I noticed that this is one of the primary reasons for the existence of HomeKit. And there are products that are now that are certified with HomeKit and they are sold on the Apple's store, but they don't get a lot of attention and I don't hear a lot about them in the media or from my RSS feeds and podcasts. And I think that that's because there are more expensive devices than say just the hottest new app you can get for $3. So more people are going to be hesitant about dropping $300 for the latest thermostat. And now I don't know why Nest thermostat became the exception, perhaps because it was the first on the market. Well, and then you still have a lot of the big name brands that don't work with HomeKit. You know, Nest doesn't. The Wemo line of products says that they're coming out with HomeKit compatibility. They haven't yet. And, and my guess is when they do, you're going to have to replace all of your plugs and outlets because the current ones aren't going to be, or you're going to have to buy some kind of adapter system. I mean, I, I don't know that for sure, but my suspicion is is that's the way it's going going to go. And and right now, you know, to do the things that that I do, I've got a folder on my my home screen right now that's just called automation, and I've got eight separate apps in there. You know, I'm not before too long. I'm going to go onto a separate screen, oh, right, <laughs> of just you know automation apps of where I. Because I've got this D-Link camera, I've got the the Ring doorbell, I've got the Wemo in the bedroom, and I've got the Nest, and then I've got Hue lights, and you know everything has their own separate app, and they don't necessarily all talk to each other. Okay, well, you brought up the home screen folder, then go ahead and tell us about those. What are you, what all are you automating in your home? Well, let's see. I, I think the the first thing I started with were the the Wemos. And those started, I, I found those at Macworld, they demoed them, and they started very simply with just plugs. And they were the plugs that you plugged into the outlet with the idea that you could plug a light or a fan, and, and it was on or off. Very simple. You could turn it on, you could turn it off, you could set a timer, you could do things like that. And then they expanded into light switches, and then they expanded into light bulbs, and they expanded into cameras, and all, you know, crock pots. That seems a little ridiculous, but really? they do have a yeah, they do have a Wemo crockpot, hmm. but but all of these other things, um, and honestly, I think they've expanded a little too far. Um, things have, <laughs> things things have gotten a little flaky, and I think they've they've realized that, and they've they've slowed down a lot of the things that they've they've previewed haven't necessarily come out yet. They're still on hold. I you know like I was talking about their HomeKit automation um, hasn't come out yet. So I've I've actually really scaled back my my use of Wemo, and at this point, I I've gone back to you know, what's their core? What are they good at? And they were really good at switches. And basically what I mean by switches are, are plugs, the plugs that you plug into an electrical outlet and then you plug something else into. 
Now, to keep this really clear for the people who are still unfamiliar with how this works, Wemo basically is the power that's coming on and off. So you leave your lamp on all the time, and it's the power outlet device with Wemo that's coming on and off, correct? Correct. Okay. Yeah, the Wemo is plugged into your electrical socket. Right. And then the lamp is plugged into the Wemo. Now, I found that there are other companies that are providing more sophisticated light switches and the like that let you control the brightness and the like of your lamp or your your lights in the ceiling. But the, the Wemo, I do like because it's a great way to get your feet wet if you're just wanting to see, is this something I'd actually use? And I liked how you described it in your blog post when you originally set yourself up with the lamp that you have it come on at certain times of the day. You want to have light on in the house to make it look like it's inhabited. And also just to give you some practical light when you do need the lamp to be on. We right now have a lamp in our um, in our foyer that I realize probably needs a Wemo because it's just on all the time. And it's always bugged me, but I'd never put the two and two together until we were thinking about this podcast. And I was like, why haven't I got one of these things for that lamp? Well, I've actually moved away from lights for mine, and, and we'll talk about that later. But I'm I'm using mine now for non-light related things. I've actually moved over to the Hue system for lights. But um, for example, we're we're recording this podcast um, just a couple of days before Christmas. My Christmas lights are connected to a Wemo. Um, I've got the extension cord run into my garage so it doesn't have to be out in the elements. But that's really cool because I can do all kinds of things with the Wemo. Like, you know, my lights come on uh, at sunset because you can connect it with if this, then that, or, or the Wemo knows even when sunset and sunrise is. So my my Christmas lights come on at sunset and they turn off every night at 11 o'clock. So I don't have to worry about, oh, gosh, did I remember to turn off the Christmas lights. Um, and you can even program them to do fun things like, uh, you know, if someone tweets a certain hashtag, I don't have this set up, but you conceivably, if someone tweets a hashtag, then your Christmas lights blink or um, you know, if someone calls a certain number, then your Christmas lights blink. I mean, you setting <laughs> when you connect the Wemo then with other services like if this then that or other things, uh, it even works with the Amazon Echo, which um, I don't have yet. But y- you can do all of these other things. So right now, I've got I've got a I'm basically using a Wemo as a glorified timer. I've got one on my Christmas lights. I've got one on my tree. One on a fan. I, I sleep with a fan at night because I like the the ambient noise. So I have a fan that you know, comes on about the time that I go to bed and it cools down the bedroom. And then I, it turns off at the time that it's time for me to get up in the morning. So it's kind of a secondary alarm that pretty soon after the fan goes off, I just naturally wake up. That would work for me too. Yes. I love white noise and that, that would completely just solve all my problems in the morning. <laughs> then well, how did the few lights fit into this? Because I've heard David talk about them. Yeah. And he, he finally got me. Well, in his enthusiasm, it seems like he got wrapped up in the idea that he can change their colors and he can set them off to do some geeky things around the house for that moment when the geek is enthused that his ball team has won the game or something like that, or he's playing some music on the Sonos. But what practical purposes do Hue lights work for besides the, the tricks that you can change their colors? Well, and and he didn't get me that far. So David has been singing the praises of the Hue lights, and I actually bought a pair a couple of months ago and sent them back. And I, I just, I couldn't get into them and I couldn't justify the cost of basically two to $300 for colored lights. I, I just, did, I don't have kids and that it wasn't worth it to me for that. And then recently the Hue version two came out, which is HomeKit compatible. And that really piqued my interest because I wanted to start playing around with, with HomeKit compatible devices. Mm. And there's a 75 to $80 starter version of the Hue lights that are white only. 
And so it includes the home kit bridge and two LED just white lights. They don't they don't change color. They're just various shades of white, various brightnesses of white. You know, I don't know. They're white. Right. So I, I started with that and I was like, you yeah, know, for 75 bucks, that's that's not too bad. And I've put those in two lamps in my house. One's in my foyer, which is great because it basically, I've got it programmed where it comes on first thing in the morning. It basically comes on right around sunrise or no, a couple hours before sunrise, about the time I get up and it turns off at sunrise. Um, and then it comes on at sunset and then it turns off about the time I go to bed. So kind of a, a similar use case to to something that you're interested in. And it serves two purposes. One is it just provides some additional light when I'm in and moving around the house. And the other is because it's in the front of my house, I've got a window. It it makes it look like someone's home. It makes it look like the house is, is occupied even when I'm not, which is kind of a nice safety feature. So that one's just kind of acting like a glorified timer. The other one is I have is I have a lamp by my my bedside on my bedside table. And that one's great because sometimes I will read at night. Sometimes I want the overhead lights off because I just want a little light in the bedroom, but I, I still want to be knocking around and be able to see in there. And I can turn that light on just by, by talking to Siri. I can say, you know, that magic command that you can't say on podcasts or, or people will yell at you, mm-hmm. um, turn on the bedroom light and she will. And when I'm in bed and when I roll over to go to sleep, I just shout at her, hey, you know who? turn off the bedroom light and and it does it works great hey you know hugh <laughs> sorry <laughs> and and what what uh, what bulb or switch do you use for that because i'd like to take it into this and that's the one instance that i can see would be really useful i hate rolling over and and straining to reach over to, to turn the lamp off every night so that would actually the phone is a little bit closer to you <laughs> yeah good point um that's that's the hue and i'm doing both of that just with the starter set you know one bulb one in the foyer one bulb one in the lamp by by the bedside table hmm. um, and the reason that works is because i charge my phone by my bedside at night i can just you know kind of roll over and yell in that general direction and and it will turn off. If my Apple Watch is on, I could do it from there too. But. Okay, yeah, because I I, uh, I tend to sleep with my watch on to, to track my uh, my sleep hours. Oh well, then it will work fine. Yeah, so that, yeah, I might I might look into that. Cool. So, Katie, how big would you say the actual bulbs are? Would they fit inside of a canister of light that you have, say, in the laundry room or the like that are very close to the ceiling as bulbs that just they get kind of flush up there? Would it fit? Well, the the basic lights, the white lights are, you know, typical lamp size lights, you know, just the the typical bulb. They're not 60 watt, but you know, the the typical. Comparable in scale. Yeah, Yeah, comparable in scale to your typical 60 watt bulb lights. You know, if you want more of the canister lights that go up in the in the ceiling, you know, more of the indoor flood. I don't know that they sell those in the white only yet. Okay. But they do in the color. So a few other things that you have on the list here, and you've mentioned on your other show, you have search protection built in throughout the house. It's not exactly automation related, but it's still a pretty smart move on your part. How did you pull off search protection throughout the house, through the outlets, without having to use any kind of strips or anything like that? I told a guy, and he put it in. No, <laughs> it was, um, it's, uh, it's something that you can do now, and they, they put it in at the breaker box. Oh, okay. It's, it sounds like it's much simpler than I imagined. Yeah, it goes in at the breaker box. Now, I will tell you that I'm not sure that I would trust it for, thankfully, knock on wood, I haven't had to. Um, I don't trust it for my computers and things like that. So I still have all of my computers on um, universal power supplies. So I've got those as well. But it kind of makes me feel a little bit better about not having every other little device 
So it's a whole house uh, search suppression system. I don't know how easy it would be to put in after the fact, but it was kind of nothing to do, you know, at building. Well, thankfully, there's not a whole lot of uh, thunderstorms down in Florida, right? <laughs> no, never happens. Not three o'clock every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just have an alarm uh, set for that. You know, Hugh, change the lights to this. When the thunderstorm starts, to, you know, kill all the power, shut off all the breaker. Okay, so other automation tools. Have you experimented with thermostats? I do have a Nest. I've had a Nest for um, quite some time, and I've been been very happy with that. You know, little unhappy that it's it's not going to work with HomeKit, and I don't know that it will anytime soon because of the, you know, whole Apple versus Google ecosystem. But been very happy with the Nest, and I'm pretty sure that I'm seeing a cost savings. I know that my overall utility bill the year after I installed the Nest was lower than the year before I installed the Nest. I found a post that that was mentioning earlier, I think it was in June, that Apple actually pulled the Nests from their stores when they started making available other products that were HomeKit certified. That doesn't surprise me. No, yeah. It, there's an Eco, uh, sorry, Eco B thermostat that has their branding on it, and it's available in Apple stores. And when that came out, the Nest went away. I hope that that's not a bad sign for other thermostats. It would be good to have some options at least. Yeah. And you're happy with the Nest though up to this point? Do you think that, I mean, unless it dies, you don't have a reason to replace it? No, I don't have a reason to replace it. I, it was fine. It's a good investment. I still see them for sale and no one's ever given a bad review that, I've, uh, that I'm aware of. Yeah, I think as long as it's compatible with your system and you kind of get through the initial setup, I've been very happy with it. I know several other people who have bought them you know, kind of on my recommendation after the fact, and, and they've been happy with them too. So in fact, I very seldom touch the thermostat anymore. And I think the greatest feature of it is just the auto away feature. I, I tend to have a pretty set schedule during the week, but, you know, on the weekends I'm I'm in and out and, you know, I, I just, I don't worry anymore about, oh, did I turn up the thermostat? Oh, did I remember to turn it off? It, it's just a non-issue. Nice. I actually think that, that that's one of the best things about automation going on right now. That and the automation to just kill the lights if you leave a floor of the house. That is one of the other things I've seen available by some other products where if you're just not in a certain space of the house, the lights will go off as uh, as you'd expect them to, as, as you would like them to. Now, another concern that for a lot of people exists is home security. I'm really fascinated by the idea of having control over the deadbolts and cameras around some places that are key to the house. Have you used anything like this? I, I haven't. I had a, um, a very traditional, you know, kind of hardwired monitored alarm system put in by a, you know, traditional alarm company. My my contract with them is up in another year or so. And, and the reason I went with the traditional system is because at the time they were just getting their smart offerings out. And I'm like, mm, I don't know that I want to be on the bleeding edge of this for my security system. I, I want to give it maybe another revision. So I, I may go back and, and revisit that you know, after this first run with my, my contract is up. So now I just, I have your very traditional monitored alarm system. I, I do have a couple of cameras and I, I've just been using the fairly inexpensive D-Link cameras. And I've, I actually have them plugged into Wemos because I don't like the idea of them being on when I'm home. So I typically just turn them on when I'm gone for either long periods of time or when I'm, when I'm gone on a trip and I'm going to be gone for several days at a time, just so I can kind of check in and see what's going on. You know, one's kind of positioned so it, it you know, catches the main area of my house. And the other one is I, I have this this lingering fear that, gosh, did I close that garage door or not? So I've got one that's positioned inside the garage, um, you know, keeping an eye on my garage and 
in that entrance of the house and can also see the garage door. Right. So now instead of having to loop back around and drive back by the house to see if I shut the garage door or not, I can just, you know, pop open the camera. And related to this are the deadbolt controls that you can get this smart deadbolt. Sarah, one that uh, really caught my attention was, uh, I think, advertised by Sandwich Video. They made a great video about it called Open Sesame. Yeah. I like the idea. It looks a little bulky as it sits over top of the standard deadbolt you still have in the door. So you need to buy both. You have the the gizmo over top of the traditional deadbolt in the door. But I don't think you can go wrong with the concept just that you approach the door with a phone that is already synced to this device and it'll automatically unlock the door for you. And others approaching the door don't get that pleasure. And if you want to unlock your deadbolt from afar, then you can do that and let your kids or your wife in the door if they lose their keys or something like that. I don't have one of these. I, I like the Open Sesame product. I think if you're a renter or if, if you're in someplace kind of temporary, I think I've I've looked at a bunch of these and I, I think if the one that I'm got my eye on that if I had to go with one would probably be the the one from Kivo um, just because all of my my locks and everything else are from Kivo and so I've I've been pretty happy with them and it would be easy to to match up and it would match my my hardware on the outside of the doors oh. but I don't have one yet I think it's an interesting idea I do have just kind of the you know if you're looking for kind of a, a low tech solution. And these have been out for years and they're, you know, 50, 60 bucks, if not that, is just one of those numeric keypad locks. I've got one of those on my garage door that you can program guest codes into. So if you've got someone coming by or if you want, you know, a worker to be able to get in or something like that, you can you can give them a, a temporary code to that so they can get access. So last question pertaining to the automation and we'll wrap it up. What else would you like to do for your automation in the next year? Um, hmm. I, I really want to see this all come together. I really want to see what, what happens with HomeKit. I, I can't help but but think that we're going to get a dedicated HomeKit app in iOS 10. I I, I think that's really the only way that, that we're going to see this come together. I'm definitely going to add a few more Hue bulbs to my, my lineup. I'm, I'm not going to go with the crazy color bulbs, but I'm, I'm going to add a few more uh, white bulbs to, to add outside the house and and set up a little additional lighting outside the house. I, I may want add one of these uh these Kivo quick locks. And then I really don't know where I'm gonna go from there. I think we'll have to see what the offerings are. Hmm. That's actually a great idea, the one you just mentioned, having the lights outdoors to be and man, I wish I had done that a long time ago with our floodlights. Hmm. Well, Katie. Thank you very much. This is a solid show, and I'm glad we brought it up. This is the first time we've talked about home automation. And I don't think it gets brought up enough. If more people will talk about it, maybe some things will happen and you know shake things up in the market. I would like to believe that a lot more is going to come to fruition in 2016 because that's giving developers a good year and a half to two years to bring these things together. You know, there's the ability to automate your stereos, your televisions. And with things like the Apple TV, I could see where you could speak to Siri from the TV if your phone is just not readily available for some crazy reason. And that would be super. And I'd also like to see better automation for offices in general. Uh, we're going to have to wait and see what becomes of that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we're really in a holding pattern right now to see which one of these takes off and and what is HomeKit going to support. Because I think a lot of people, myself included, are really hesitant to put a lot of money into these products thinking, oh, am I just going to have to rebuy new versions or right. is this not the blessed one? 
yeah, is this going to be the house of the future or is that going to be? <laughs> well, thank you, Katie, very much. My pleasure. And uh, we're recording this right before Christmas, so we're going to release this episode a day early. I don't want to release it on Christmas Day. I just, I'd feel icky doing that. Uh-uh. So you're getting this on Thursday. <laughs> well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Yes, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I meant to ask you, Joshua, just in a minute or two, yeah. can you please uh, shed light on your thoughts about this home automation stuff? Oh, okay. I thought you were going to ask me to shed thoughts on Christmas. That It just took me, took me back there for a second. <laughs> yeah. How can we bring Christmas and technology together? I agree that the lack of a standard is is an issue. I think the lack of uh, integration within the OS uh, is an issue. And I think once those are solved, more people will be, will move forward, which will drive the price down. I mean, that's one of the things for me, it's like, I I don't have hundreds and thousands of dollars to, to, to play with, you know, just for a light bulb for a hundred dollars is, is kind of hard for me to to justify that as a toy. So I'm looking forward to the standards being there and, and obviously that will drive price down, you know, once more people get involved. So, so once it's as convenient as a Roomba, everybody's going to get in on it. <laughs> well, I mean, I think we'll definitely, we'll see the prices drop looking forward to that. Very well. Well, thank both of you for joining me again for another episode of Tectonic. This has been great. Katie, thanks again for joining us. We'll have to have you back because there's a whole two other points in the outline we didn't even get to address, the whole extra topics. That's that's right. Yeah, sorry about that. I can I can blab about home automation for a while. Yeah, we'll wait till episode 78 or something and come back to that. <laughs> and then we'll do a little bit of follow-up about home automation by then. Sure thing. My pleasure. All right. So this is the end of episode 38. If you'd like to retrieve the show notes and links, you'll find them at tectonic.fm slash 38. If you want to chat with us, the show is at Tectonic FM on Twitter. Our guest is at Katie Floyd, and that's Katie with a K. I'm underscore Joe Darnell, and my co-host is at Joshua Pfeiffer on Twitter. You can send feedback and questions by email to hello at tectonic.fm. And I'm Joe Darnell. Thanks for listening to Tectonic. Merry Christmas. <laughs>